This is Superman Forever Radio, episode number 80, Superman versus Clark Kent. than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. People can leave tall buildings at a single bound. The incident ship found is now the man of steel. Superman! Hey everybody, welcome back to Superman Forever Radio. I'm Bob Fisher. This is a show where I'll take an aspect of the long history of Superman and talk about it. going to start off the show today, though, with something that's happened uh, fairly recently in the world of Superman. Uh, as I record this a couple of weeks ago, DC Comics, with the release of issue 51, announced that that would be the last issue of the Adventures of Superman digital first comic book. For the last 51 weeks or so, DC has released a, a comic every Monday called The Adventures of Superman, and they release it digitally first. So there's no printed version of it. And then uh, towards the end of the month, they will collect three or four of these digital first issues and put them together in a, uh, a printed version of a comic that you can then get at your local comic shop. But they did announce uh, um, a couple of weeks ago that the most recent issue, number 51, would be the last. Now, DC doesn't give out the numbers of um, the sales numbers. So we really don't know why they canceled this. They didn't say because of poor sales. They didn't say that, well, we have other things planned. They didn't say that, well, we had only planned 51 of them. This is where we had uh, originally. They didn't tell you anything. They just released 51 and said, that's it. No more Adventures of Superman Digital Comic. This is very disappointing on, on a number of levels. Let me talk about that for a second. Why is it disappointing? Well, these stories were what's called out of continuity, and most of them were one-shots or one-off, one story per issue. Some went three or four issues, but they were small. I mean, when I say a complete issue, they say 20, 24, 20 to 22 or so pages but the digital pages really equal about a third of a page of a printed comic. That's why three or four of these stories would fit in a regular full-length comic. But these were terrific. Like I say, these were out of continuity, uh, easy to read and pick up. And the creative staffs would rotate. There would be um, a different creative staff practically every week. A different writer, a different artist. And these comics, what do I mean by saying that these were out of continuity? They meant that they didn't really pertain or have any effect on the ongoing narrative in the regular monthly titles of Superman, Action Comics, uh, Superman, Wonder Woman, whatever those were. The digital, these particular digital comics had no bearing on that. These were just fun stories or stories that some of the writers uh, wanted to tell. And they usually were about the classic Superman, but they ranged from all types of Superman. Several of the issues, um, Lois knew the secret or they were married. Some of them was like in the Silver Age where uh, nobody knew his secret. He was, it was still, you know, Superman, Lois, Jimmy, Perry, the traditional 
Silver Age stories. But this raises all kinds of questions since DC didn't tell us the sales numbers. They don't tell us, well, we canceled it because it wasn't selling or uh, canceled it because we had other things we wanted to do or canceled it because, well, they just didn't say. They just didn't say. So this brings up other questions. If they had said it was poor sales, and let's go with that. Let's, let's start with that. Let's assume for the time being that DC decided to put something else in that slot because the Adventures of Superman digital first comic wasn't giving them the numbers in sales that they were hoping for. Well, this raises a couple of other questions too. And the first one would be, well, why wasn't it selling? Did they not promote it? No, I think they promoted it fine. I think uh, in those places where those of us who read comics go, we knew that there was a digital comic coming out once a week, only 99 cents of Superman. So if in fact it wasn't selling, why wasn't it selling? And we, you know, I've already said that I think the advertising was fine. I think the promotion was fine. Uh, So that would mean people were not reading it because they didn't like it. Um, If they were reading regular digital comics and, and, and they didn't like it, why wouldn't they like it? Because this discussion actually goes on quite a bit. I see this discussion all the time about uh, stories that are in or out of continuity. And I heard someone say on a recent podcast that one of the reasons they weren't reading some of these digitals, uh, like The Adventures of Superman, and there was one for Batman called The Legends of the Dark Knight, also a digital uh, first that is uh, no longer being put out by DC, Well, they were saying, well, why should I read it? Because it doesn't count. It doesn't matter. Because it has no effect on the regular ongoing monthly titles. If it's just a really good, fun Superman story, what difference does it make whether in the current continuity Superman is dating Wonder Woman and not Lois Lane, and yet in the digital comic there he is with Lois Lane and they're married, which references back to the previous 15, 20 years or so, where in the monthly comics, Lois and Superman were married. But again, if that is the point, that because it doesn't count, the numbers were falling off, that also makes me want to scratch my head. And it also brings up the questions of in or out of continuity. How important is continuity? Well, in modern comics, apparently it's very important. But to me, as someone who grew up reading comics in the late 50s, Uh, uh, through the 60s, we started to see this take place in the mid to late 60s, where stories would build upon each other. And editors, something would happen in the story, and then an editor would put a little box at the bottom of that panel or at the bottom of the page that would direct you to um, uh, another comic that previously happened to say, you know, that happened then. For example, in the story we're talking about later, Superman's affected by red kryptonite. And an editor would say previously happened in action comics, blah, 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 blah. And uh, that would let you know that that uh, the writers and editors were aware that stuff that's happening now took place before and it has some bearing on what is taking place now. That's continuity, the continuation of a thought or a story throughout the course of the comic. In modern comics, that's very important to younger readers, I think. People who have been reading comics, let's say, for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. uh, That becomes very important to them. 
But I also hear discussions on the other side that say, well, modern comics, a story, one story could last a year. In fact, just before the New 52 started, the story that I was reading in Superman was taking almost two years to finish that story on a monthly basis. This is very different than when I grew up and comics would be larger. They would have, uh, say, 48 pages or so. And there might be three complete stories in each one of those comics. You would have three or four, eight to 12 page stories. And they were all self-contained. People will complain today, younger people will complain today that, oh, the Silver Age, that time period in the mid-50s to late-60s, early-70s, would be called uh, the Silver Age. They would say, well, those were silly stories. And yeah, they had a lot of goofy, silly stories. But consider that each writer was writing multiple stories every month for multiple comics. The same writer, let's say even Jerry Siegel, the the creator of Superman, he may have one or two stories in four or five different titles. He might be writing a Superman story, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. And in the same comic, there would be two or three stories written by the same writer that had little or no bearing on each other, as if the story you just read really never happened. Or it happened, but it didn't matter to the story I want to tell you now. So, of course, when you're putting out that kind of volume, you're going to have some silly stuff because these guys were on a deadline that they didn't miss. They kept pumping out these quick, short stories. As we got into the mid-60s, we started to see that, well, there's no longer three stories. There might be two. And there would be a feature story that might be a little longer and then a backup story. So if, in fact, this is the case, that continuity became more important, is that the reason they canceled The Adventures of Superman? Because they were not part of the current continuity, or any continuity for that matter. They were just simply stories that these writers wanted to tell. I thought they were terrific. I love the fact that you could pick it up, read it 10, 15, 20 minutes, and have a story. And it was fun. But... Are we at a point where people prefer one storyline with little subplots in each issue, but basically one storyline taking 8, 10, 12 issues, months, and not just 10 pages per issue, but the entire comic, basically, of a modern comic, 22 to 24, 20 pages or so, tells one chapter of a 12-chapter story, and it's going to take you a year to finish that story or six months to finish that story well that brings up all kinds of other questions too and uh, some of them we'll go into some of them we won't but that also brings up the the rise in popularity of the trade paperbacks where people will say well i don't want to read it because i know that's going to be a six issue story i'll wait for the trade is what's the trade doing? It's collecting those six issues, putting them in one book so that you can sit down and read it all at one time. And it just brings up those kinds of questions of which is better. I'm not sure either is better. I don't know that that can be qualified or quantified. I think that's up to the individual. 
I like to sit down and read a story and reading monthly issues, sometimes I will just stack them up and say, oh, it looks like this is going to be, and sometimes they'll even tell you, part one of six. Well, then I will let those five or six issues stack up over there, sit down and read them all at one time. I was doing that with The Adventures of Superman, the digital first, because they would actually say, uh, they would give the title of the story, and they would say, uh, part one of three. Well, I would go ahead and download it, put it on the tablet or whatever, and then uh, wait till I had all three of them, sit down and read it so I could read at one time the complete story. So is the long format, here are the questions. Does the long format storytelling that takes months, multiple issues, sometimes multiple titles, crossovers, not only be part of Superman, but action, it could go into Superboy, Supergirl, Justice League, it could cover multiple issues. Does that hurt the month, the monthly title? When we see sales numbers uh, going down on the monthly printed titles, does the long-form storytelling help or hurt or have no bearing on the monthly titles themselves and crossovers? I don't know. But it's one of those issues that I'd love to have uh, maybe a roundtable discussion or at least be part of a roundtable discussion with other people who are currently reading comics, who have been reading comics for a while. Is there really no place for a digital first like The Adventures of Superman that basically tells a story per issue? I don't know. Unless DC tells us why they cancel it, we don't know. So we can only make assumptions. And my assumption is that the sales were not there in the numbers that they wanted Is there no place for these one-shot, one-off stories? The questions that arise from this type of uh, abrupt cancellation, is it the digital that people weren't buying because it was digital? Is it the out-of-continuity that they weren't buying? Or is it the stories themselves? They just didn't like the stories. They just wanted the long-form stories in continuity that, as I heard someone say, matter. They count. Let me know what you think about the cancellation of the Adventures of Superman digital comic. And let me know what you think about one shots versus long form storytelling. Continuity, a good thing, bad thing, indifferent? Does it matter? Is it important to you? Let me know. Drop me some email. Bob at supermanforever.com. sky it's a bird it's a plane no it's supermanhomepage.com the number one superman fan site in the world supermanhomepage.com covering the world of superman from the 1930s to today news reviews rumors and reports supermanhomepage.com for all your superman comics tv shows movies cartoons radio shows and more everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel and more supermanhomepage.com and welcome back so who is ella orksey and why is she important in a podcast about superman versus clark kent well for the answer to that we have to go back to the beginning of the 20th century 1903 and the release of her first play about a character who decided to fight the injustice of a tyrannical government and help those people who could not help themselves by donning a mask and using his sword to fight for their rights. Sound familiar? 
Well, if you're thinking he put a Z in things, you're wrong. His name was the Scarlet Pimpernel. And Ella Orksey is given credit for inventing the dual identity or the secret identity with the Scarlet Pimpernel. Now, that first play in 1903 did not do particularly well, but a few years later, she wrote a novel based on that character, which did much better and actually produced several sequels, and they're actually a fun read. But as popular as those novels became, there were really no other characters during that time period that did the same thing. It didn't spawn a whole uh, bunch of costumed characters and masks running around. But in the early 30s, some two and a half decades later, we see several characters appear. One was a guy who put on a mask to hide his real name because he was assumed dead. I'm talking about the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger was different than the Scarlet Pimpernel in that the Scarlet Pimpernel used his abilities that he had learned, his superior swordsmanship, his athletic prowess, his equestrian talents, while wearing the mask. Without the mask, he hid those abilities and took on the guise literally of a playboy. They were really kind of the real guy wore the mask, and without the mask, he was pretending to be someone else. The story of the Lone Ranger who wore a mask and had an identity secret... Well, he kept his secret, John Reed, because he assumed, or not assumed, but he wanted people to assume he was killed in the uh, massacre, the the ambush of the rest of the Rangers. The uh, Texas Rangers were out trying to catch the bad guy. They were ambushed. All of them except John Reed were killed. John Reed survived because of the help of an Indian who found him. Turns out to be it was a childhood friend of his, Tonto. Tonto helped him get back to health, good health. But they dug an extra gravesite and put John Reed's name on it so that he no longer existed as an identity. And once the mask was put on, we never saw the actual face of John Reed, especially in the TV shows uh, of the time portrayed by Clayton Moore as the Lone Ranger and Jay Silverheels as Tonto. We never saw Clayton Moore's face without the mask. So unlike the traditional superhero established by the Scarlet Pimpernel, the Lone Ranger always wore the mask. So he didn't have the traditional Superman, Clark Kent type secret identity. He disguised himself in many other identities. Someone else now in the 30s, 1930s, that came along at about 1933, was a much more direct, um, I'm not going to say copy, but it, it in the same genre as the Scarlet Pimpernel and actually became way more famous to the generation of the 30s and right into the present was the character of Zorro. Now, Zorro, just like the Scarlet Pimpernel, his real-life character of Don Diego de la Vega was a superior swordsman, Uh, equestrian, had uh, athletic prowess, better than others. But when he came back to Southern California and realized that the government there was corrupt and uh, was um, stealing from the people and and it was just a bad situation, in order to keep his family safe, 
and not let them know who he was, he disguised himself as Zorro. And Zorro had all of the attributes learned by Don Diego de la Vega, the superior swordsmanship, equestrian abilities, athletic prowess, and used the disguise of, similar to the Scarlet Pimpernel, he was, you know, a flamboyant dresser. He was, again, more apt to read poetry and uh, go to fine parties and play music and not be worried about the politics or the injustice of the people, which really ticked his father off, of course. But he couldn't let people know. So he wore a terrific disguise, the all-black outfit of Zorro. He was really much, much closer to the Scarlet Pimpernel and the original. And that was in the early 30s. So then we come to the late 30s, and we have the beginning of Superman, which was actually written, by the way, in 1934. So only a year or so after the appearance of both the Lone Ranger and Zorro comes Superman. And this brings me to the real question of today's show and why I kind of set it up that way, that like the Scarlet Pimpernel, the guy with the mask was really the real guy. The guy without the mask is where he was acting as if he were someone else. Clark Kent became different than those. And to this day, If you get 10 Superman fans in a room and say, which one is the real guy, Superman or Clark Kent, you might get 10 different answers depending on what period of time during the comics phase they read the comics or whether they didn't read the comics at all, but watch it from the Christopher Reeve movies or the George Reeves TV show or the Dean Cain TV show. In other words, Clark Kent and Superman are one and the same, but which one is the real guy? Is it Superman pretending to be the meek, mild Clark Kent? Or is it the Clark Kent character growing up on the farm, being taught the values of a Midwestern American family that then dons the cape with the S on his chest and takes on the character of Superman? Well, this has changed, as I said, over the years. And in the radio show uh, of the 40s, He practically jumps out of the rocket from Krypton as a full adult in costume and gets the name and decides to disguise themselves because of the first two people he saves, a father and his son. They actually give him the name Clark Kent. Of course, this changed over time to where now you could even say, which is the real guy, Superman, Clark Kent, or Kal-El from Krypton? So as we delve further into this whole discussion of Superman versus Clark Kent and the secret identity, if you were to ask people on the street, who is Superman? Well, they would give you a whole bunch of answers about superhero, red and blue costume, saving people, S on the chest. They would describe him. They might even tell what he does. But if you were to ask people, who is Clark Kent? What would they say? Would they say, oh, he's Superman, or would they say he's the reporter? According to the 50s TV show, George Reeves played Clark Kent, even though the title says, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. Uh, George Reeves didn't really play him as too mild of a character. Certainly not like Christopher Reeve played him in the uh, 78, 1978 movie, 
where he kind of made him uh, added the word bumbling to it, where he was, um, you know, almost a caricature, almost a cartoon character, you know, catching his coat in a door, his tie in this, uh, knocking over flowers or things. He was bumbling, but at the same time acting as if he's about ready to faint, but catches a bullet that would have killed Lois. So it worked on that level at that time. Uh, we move on to Dean Kane, who uh, I personally think was a better Clark Kent than Superman. I didn't really care for his Superman that much, but he played him pretty much as just a normal straight guy. George Reeves, when we go back to George Reeves in the 50s TV show, you'll hear this periodically from people who uh, didn't really watch a lot of the show and get into it much. They'll say that there was no difference between Clark Kent and Superman in those early George Reeves episodes. Uh, well, obviously, I'm going to disagree with you. I thought uh, and still think that's the best Clark Kent so far of all of them. Because I don't think you become a Pulitzer Prize winning crime reporter and being a namby-pamby, uh, bumbling idiot who can barely walk from one side of the room to the other without tripping over his own two feet. I don't think you get there by being that kind of a guy. You know, who knows? But a crime reporter, I think, has to have a little more going for him. George Reeves did not play a bumbling idiot. He did, however, play a mild-mannered Clark Kent. Things were more personal as Clark than as Superman. As Clark, he called all of his friends by their first name and by nicknames. He wore the suit a little larger than he probably would have had he not wanted to hide himself so that the, the clothes looked a little fuller, a little baggy on him. He would hold himself in a more reserved manner as Clark Kent, looking down a lot, wearing his glasses big, keeping the things um, a little slumped. But uh, it would be Lois or Jimmy, uh, and particularly Perry. As Superman, he stood up straighter. His shoulders were back. His chest was out. He had a whole different look on his face. Uh, the way he responded to people in that show was much more formal as Superman. It was not Bill Henderson, but Inspector Henderson. It was not Lois, it was Miss Lane. Superman never called her Lois, except in the one episode, which was a dream episode, where Lois dreamt she was going to marry Superman. In that episode, he called her Lois as Superman. But in all of the other episodes, the only character he was really personal to and would go by first name would be Jimmy Olsen. But Lois, it was always Miss Lane again. Stood up straight, chest out, shoulders back, towering above all of the other characters on screen. There was a difference between the way George Reeves played Clark Kent and Superman. But he didn't make either of them caricatures. Clark Kent, played by George Reeves, was a believable crime reporter who took no crap off of people. He would act like he was afraid of something or didn't want to be near the danger and then would uh, get into the cloakroom, the storeroom, and change and gone out as Superman. So, how was he portrayed in the comic books? The difference between Superman and Clark Kent in the comics. You could say that, well, it depended on who wrote him, and this is true. 
the uh, original creator, Jerry Siegel, wrote him in different ways because Jerry Siegel actually wrote for DC Comics, wrote Superman for a couple of decades. And the, the Clark Kent that he wrote in the Golden Age in the early 40s, all throughout the 40s actually, is different than he became in the 50s and early 60s was Jerry Siegel would write him. But he was drawn by Joe Schuster, and my favorites, Wayne Boring, and then the best of them all, to me and still, Kurt Swan. They were two different people. When you looked at them on the page, they were two different people. There are some great, um, and you can find these out there, they're online somewhere, the, the, the test drawings, the, the, I don't know, what, I forgot what they called them, but the things that Kurt Swan would draw for other artists to then look at to show how you draw the differences between Superman and Clark Kent. And Kurt Swan, I think, did them the best. In the story we're going to look at today is a two-parter took place in Action Comics number 311 and 312. And we see Superman and Clark Kent as two separate individuals in this story. And we'll take a look at this story right after this. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Thank you, Professor Allen, and welcome back, everybody. Now, just before we get into Action Comics 311 and 312, uh, I want to let you guys know there's another podcast I listen to regularly, and it's one of the first Superman comic podcasts that I found on the internet. It's Billy Hogan's The Superman Fan Podcast, and currently Billy is covering the Silver Age of Superman comics, including Superman Action Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, and World's Finest. Now, Billy does really good in-depth coverage of these comics, page by page, almost panel by panel. Great podcast. If you really want to know about the Silver Age of Superman comics, check out Billy's podcast. Just really, really terrific. And and the reason I bring that up is, as I said, we're doing uh, tonight Action Comics 311 and 312 as part of our Superman versus Clark Kent episode here. But Billy is actually doing a chronological coverage of these comics. His current uh, episode, I think, out now, uh, he's covering Jimmy Olsen, number 43. But last week's, or his previous episode, he covered uh, Action Comics, number 296. So, since we're doing 311, you can see that uh, Billy's on his way, uh, and in a few months, we'll be up to um, Action 
311 and 312. And I can't wait to hear his coverage. His coverage will be real and in-depth and worth the listen. You should just, if you're interested, again, if you're interested in the Superman comics of the Silver Age, I highly recommend Billy Hogan's The Superman Fan Podcast. Okay, now, Action Comics number 311, Superman, King of Earth. It's got a cover date of April 1964. Actually uh, hit the stands February 27th, 1964 for 12 cents. The cover drawn by the great Kurt Swan. Editor, uh, who's the editor of this one? Mort Weisinger. The interiors, more great Kurt Swan. Kurt Swan did the art on the Superman story, Superman King of Earth. He was inked by George Klein. Story is written by Robert Bernstein. While on assignment, Clark gets an emergency alert from his Fortress of Solitude, telling him that something is happening, something's going on, there's an emergency, uses his supervision to check it out, sees that it's uh, a menace coming to Earth, and he needs to take action as Superman, so he makes, of course, some uh, excuses, gets away from the rest of the Daily Planet staff, and flies up to his Fortress of Solitude. Once there, he realizes, once he gets a closer, uses supervision to check out the menace, he realizes that he can't fly up and just take care of these guys or the problem, the threat, because it's hiding invisibly in the midst of a swarm of, if swarm is the right word, of red kryptonite. Now, Superman fans will know that there are multiple types of kryptonite. Of course, green kills him, but the red kryptonite affected him unpredictably, temporarily, And never the same way twice. Never the same way twice. So, since this new threat was in a swarm of red kryptonite, Superman decides to try again an experiment he's been working on to make himself immune to the effects of red kryptonite. So he took a punk, uh, punk, (laughs) took a chunk of red kryptonite that that had affected him previously. So since... The same chunk of kryptonite, the same piece of kryptonite, cannot affect Superman the same way twice. He decides to use this piece of kryptonite, red kryptonite, which previously split him into an evil Superman and a good, non-powered Clark Kent. Using the acid, he sniffs the acid coming off of the red kryptonite, and boom, all of a sudden, he split into two people again. A powerful Superman and a mortal Clark Kent. Now the story is set up. Well, right off the bat, he shows all signs of being an evil Superman. Clark Kent says, oh, I've got to stop him. He tries one thing. It didn't work. Superman destroys his uh, uh, robots. Yes, in the Silver Age, Superman had a lot of robots that he used uh, to cover for him or for Clark Kent. So he destroys the robots. Uh, Clark runs over and grabs the portable Phantom Zone projector. Superman takes it away, crushes it. They, uh, Superman then leaves the Fortress of Solitude with Clark, takes him back to the mainland. But Clark then goes to the UN. I'm not Clark. Superman then goes to the UN, having dropped Clark off and doing kind of a little Khrushchev thing, takes his boot off and pounding it on the uh, podium and demands that the UN name him King of Earth, ultimate ruler of Earth. Well, at first they all say, no, 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 we can't do that. Even then, no, 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 no. So he does some, what appears to be some uh, major super feats to show them how 
bad and strong he is and that what he would do if he actually got angry. So he freezes uh, part of an ocean with his super breath, destroys a fake city put up by the Chinese to make a fake New York City that they were going to use to explode a nuclear weapon and destroy some other stuff. So anyway, he uh, does some really bad things to Earth, apparently. So Clark realizes that there has to be something done to stop this evil, evil Superman and starts an underground movement to get rid of Superman. And that's basically the end of uh, uh, 311 to be continued in 312. Split into two, apparently a bad Superman and a good Clark Kent without powers. Superman demands to be king of Earth. Clark Kent starts an underground movement to stop him. In fact, one of the ideas, plans Clark had to stop the evil Superman is he addresses, later that afternoon, he addresses the Joint Chiefs of Staff and opens a vault built by, quote, Superman after uh, evil super beings had attacked before. He said uh, he built this vault, security-proof vault, which contains weapons to stop an evil super being should that ever happen again. Clark opens the vault, shows the Joint Chief of Staff its contents, including gold kryptonite, which takes away Superman's powers permanently, and green kryptonite, which kills him. Superman had placed it in this security-proof vault himself. Of course, Clark knows the combination, opens it, shows the Joint Chief of Staff, and says this is how we can get rid of Superman. With the gold kryptonite there... Next to the green kryptonite, Clark's solution is not to take the gold kryptonite, which will take away his powers and thus make him human, Superman human, so that he could be captured for being a tyrant or whatever. Clark's recommendation is that he takes the green kryptonite and kills Superman. The Joint Chiefs of Staff turn down that idea and say, no, maybe as a last resort, but no, we don't want to do that. Clark tries other techniques and says, we're going to figure out a way to do this. And he is going to not rest until he finds a way to stop the evil Superman. And at the end of part one, Clark has now started the underground. But while talking to Perry, Jimmy, Lois, he questions whether or not he might be overreaching. Can he actually stop Superman without having powers himself? And that's how part one ends. Action Comics 312, King Superman versus Clark Kent Metallo. Creative staff is still the same. Written by Robert Bernstein, art by Kurt Swan, inked by George Klein. The Daily Planet staff, as the story opens, decides that they need to get out of town to discuss in more private the overthrow of King Superman, so Perry suggests they get on his yacht and go out to sea, thinking that we'll be safe. On the way, Clark Kent through Clark Kent's memory, we have some uh, flashbacks and uh, recap of what has happened so far. And thinking they're safe on the boat as they start their plotting of the overthrow, Superman, of course, finds them, comes, picks up the yacht, flies it to a land barge where they're stranded until the Coast Guard can pick them up. And once they uh, are rescued by the Coast Guard, Clark decides to go back to his apartment where he remembers that in his hidden closet, he still has three Superman robots. Taking the costume off of one of them, thinking he may need it to bluff a criminal 
or something that he might need the costume. Uh, He takes the Superman costume off of one of the robots, but then, since they are programmed for good, sends these robots to take out the evil Superman. One other thing that I did forget to mention in this is that, for the most part, both 311 Chapter 1 and now 312 Chapter 2 are told from the perspective of Clark Kent, not Superman. But on this page, on page whatever this is, I can't read the page number, but it's uh, around page five or so. They do a really nice layout where Clark is on the left and panel on the right has Superman. So a really nice little layout here as you see what's going on. But Clark sends those three evil or the three good robots out to take care of the evil Superman. The evil Superman in his fortress, not the Fortress of Solitude, his newly built cathedral, whatever, his uh, force field dome. Superman, the evil Superman, sees the three the three robots. I don't know why I keep calling them evil. They're not evil. But the three Superman robots come and he just makes a quick waste of them, tearing them apart and taking off their heads. He comes back and meets Clark Kent on the roof. So he and uh, Clark Superman, the evil Superman, and Clark Kent have a little one-on-one time. After that little one-on-one discussion, Clark is more convinced than ever that the evil tyrant King Superman must be stopped permanently. Since the Joint Chiefs of Staff decided they're not going to let him use the kryptonite in the vault, Superman thinks and remembers that, or thinks that maybe Supergirl has kept a piece of green kryptonite at her home where she hides with her secret identity or lives with uh, as Linda Lee Danvers uh, with her adopted parents, the Danvers, in Midvale. And uh, since they're out of town, the, the Danvers are out of town and Supergirl's in the future on a mission with the Legion of Superheroes, Clark decides to go to her apartment at night look around and see if he can find that kryptonite and take it to use to kill Superman. Well, while he's rummaging through the house, some policemen see the flashlight, think it's unusual and it might be a burglar, and you even hear Clark thinking to himself, oh no, gasp, (laughs) those policemen think I'm a common criminal, breaking and entering. Well, you are breaking and entering, Clark. But he he thinks to himself, well, maybe I can bluff the policeman by wearing the Superman costume. So he puts on the Superman costume and goes out and says, everything's okay, officers, it's me, Superman. I thought I saw something weird in there too, and I was just here checking it out. The policemen say they need to be sure, and please don't get mad, King Superman. Well, they shoot him. And then Clark remembers that, oh no, the costume on the Superman robot is it my real one, which is indestructible? And the bullet hits him in the abdomen. Well, uh, he pretends as if it didn't hurt, stands up straight, covers the hole with his fingers so he doesn't bleed, and the police say, okay, you're the real guy, gee, sorry, King Superman, we were just doing our job, please don't hurt us, don't take it out on us, we're sorry. They go away. Well, Superman, the 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 wound is serious. Uh, he's thinking, where can he go? He tries to get to the Midvale Medical Center where there's a doctor who performs surgery. He blacks out, falls into the river, and wakes up sometime later in a hospital in the undersea world of Atlantis where Lori Lamaris 
former girlfriend, is there and says that two Atlantean uh, mermaids had found him in the river. What were they doing up at Midvale River? Did the Atlanteans just have all, send out all their mermaids and mermen everywhere to all of our rivers? Very interesting, I thought. But anyway, they brought him to Atlantis, and uh, she says she has some bad news, that the wound is bad and he's dying. They're, they're surgeons and nothing that can be done. He's He's been mortally wounded and the shot is fatal. Is there anything, uh, and Laurie asks, is there anything, any technology you know of that could help you? And Superman says, well, as a matter of fact, and then tells her the story of Metallo and convinces her to convince the surgeons of Atlantis to turn Clark Kent into Metallo, giving him a metal chest with a heart that is kryptonite. So the Atlanteans put in the kryptonite into his chest, and Clark Kent is now a Metallo. Clark then goes to Superman's um, citadel and puts a vest full of dynamite on and when he gets into Superman, he shows him the dynamite and threatens to uh, ignite the dynamite, killing himself, which he theorizes that since they were originally the same person, now split, that by killing one, the other one would also die. Clark says he's going to ignite the dynamite and kill them both. And Superman and Clark have a little discussion there. Superman convinces him not to. He throws the dynamite at one of Superman's big marble statues. And then when Superman thinks that it's the little crisis is over, he tells Clark not to do that. But then Clark opens the lead-shielded compartment of his chest, exposing Superman to the green kryptonite, and Superman falls to the ground. And Clark Kent says the only way to stop you is to kill you with green kryptonite. Superman says, but Clark... If you kill me, you will die too. And Clark says, well, that's something I have to taste. That's the chance I'll have to take. And then Superman says, wait, wait, you don't understand. You're making a mistake. I'm not the evil Superman. I'm good like you. And Clark says, what do you mean you're good like me? How can I believe that? And then Superman recaps again. At the moment of the split, when the red kryptonite affected him, his super hearing overheard the villain, the menace coming from space, realizing it was a robot under instructions to threaten Earth by performing three things that would show Earth that they were serious. An explosion, a freezing, and uh, a volcano explosion, which just happened to be the very three things that Superman did. He did those because he is, his plan was, Superman's plan was the fact that if the Earth knew that this robot menace was coming and that if they didn't surrender, then uh, the robot would destroy the earth and everybody would panic. So instead of letting them know that it was a menace from space, he concocted this idea of being King Superman. And at the time and places designated for the robot to perform those tasks, Superman would pretend as if he had done those three threats on the earth which would give him time then to figure out what to do about uh, the menace of the robot that was going to destroy the Earth. So uh, anyway, he, he finally convinces, he, Superman, finally convinces Clark that he is the good Superman, that this time when they split, unlike last time, it didn't turn him into a bad Superman, but a good Superman. So Clark closes the compartment on his chest, and Superman revives but says, it's too bad, it's just too late. I don't have time now to 
stop the threat, they're going to destroy the earth. And as Clark closes the uh, uh, compartment on his chest, they begin to merge as one person again, leaving behind the green kryptonite metallo stuff so that now Superman and Clark are both back together once again so that the effect of the red kryptonite this time was not permanent as they thought, but once again temporary. And Superman realizes that just before the uh, alien is able to use his weapons to destroy Earth. He will be visible for a few seconds. Flies up as visible. The kryptonite is gone. Throws him into space, stopping the menace, saving Earth. Then goes back and explains to everybody that, hey, I was faking being bad guy, and I just saved the Earth, and yay, everybody's happy. Okay. A few... Summary thoughts on Superman versus Clark Kent, more specifically King Superman versus Clark Kent Metallo. This was not, quote, an imaginary story, end quote. During the 60s, when they wanted to tell an out-of-continuity story, they would label it as an imaginary story, so it would not be part of the canon of the history. This was not that kind of a story, so it was considered canon. This was one of the earlier times that I remember Clark Kent or Superman being willing to absolutely kill uh, in the Silver Age, not in the Golden Age. Did it on more than one occasion there. But I thought this was interesting because, like I say, it was not an imaginary story. It was part of canon that Clark Kent slash Superman was willing to kill in this particular story because he thought that was the only way to get rid of an all-powerful evil pirate. Later, in the early 80s, during the Christopher Reeve movie, number three, that uh, had Richard Pryor as the guest superstar, (laughs) there was a terrific scene where uh, Superman had turned evil. He hadn't split, but uh, the basic idea was that Richard Pryor created what he thought was going to be green kryptonite to kill him, but it affected him by turning him pretty much as a bad guy. And there was a great scene where this evil Superman in a junkyard fought Clark Kent. And do you guys remember how that fight scene ended and what brought them pretty much back together as one good Superman? At the end of that fight, Clark Kent was behind Superman and was strangling him to death until he disappeared And Clark Kent woke up, did a shirt reveal, and boom, flew off as the good Superman to go and save the day. And that's what it reminded me of while I was reading this, that in the the movie, which came almost 20 years after this comic, that not only in the Golden Age, but in the Silver Age, during the time of the Comics Code Authority even, Clark Kent was willing to kill Superman if that is what it meant to save the Earth. But overall, I'd still give this story a four out of five. The artwork throughout is some really great classic Kurt Swan art, where you actually, again, see the difference between Clark Kent and Superman. Clark Kent, again, it's told from his point of view primarily. So if there are thought bubbles back in the day in comics, they had thought bubbles. So most of the time, we actually hear what Clark Kent says, but we see what he's thinking. But... The evil Superman, we only see what he does and what he says. We really rarely 
seek any of his thoughts. So they keep the reader in the dark as to the fact that this time when they have been split by the red kryptonite, they are both, quote, good. All in all, a solid Silver Age story with some terrific Kurt Swan art. Especially there was a scene when uh, uh, Clark was recovering after being shot. He was in the hospital uh, in Atlantis with Laurie Lamaris where he retells the original Metallo story. Now that story originally, I think, was drawn by Al Plastino. So it was fun seeing Kurt Swan's version of the retelling of the original Metallo story. On a little bit of a critical note, uh, I think they rushed the ending to this a little quick. They came up with a solution fairly easily, quickly, in, in a panel or two at the end. I think earlier in, in uh, particularly part two, when they were recapping part one, they could have probably cut that down to one page instead of the two they used to recap and maybe spent an extra page ending the story, both in the way Clark decided to kill Superman and how he uh, then dealt with the alien invasion and how that ended so quickly and abruptly. But again, overall, solid Superman story, four out of five, great artwork, and brings up a lot of good questions that have been uh, asked by Superman fans for a long time, back and forth. So that'll just about do it for episode 80 of Superman Forever Radio. I'm Bob Fisher. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me, please send me some email. Bob at SupermanForever.com. That's Bob at SupermanForever.com. Love to hear from you. Up, up, and away! Superman is based on the original character appearing in Action Comics and Superman Magazine. DC Comics holds the copyright. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster.